Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. All right. Welcome back, Urban Foundry listeners. We're on today with Vincent Ash from the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, Vice President of Real Estate Development. Vincent, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Welcome in. Welcome in. All right. We got to start. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what the IEDC does. Absolutely. So again, Vincent Ash, VP of Real Estate Development at the IEDC. From here in Indianapolis, grew up, I went to Tech High School, surprisingly on the near east side. Mm -hmm. Okay. Undergrad in finance from IU by way of IUPUI. So I worked with Kelly and went through all of the I-Core stuff that was daunting. (laughs) So very much a local here in Indianapolis and at the IEDC kind of lead our real estate development efforts. So that comes in a form of some of our programmatic uh, pieces that we have to use as subsidy for different projects, as well as, you know, assisting on some of our development efforts as IEDC is being more of, of a catalyst for real estate development, kind of under the direction of our new secretary, or I can't really say new, he's been on the job about two years now, but Brad Chambers wanted the IEDC in the state to be more of a catalyst for development elements throughout the state. Yeah. Thanks. Well, and, and you came in kind of right after Brad mm-hmm. was announced, right? And so Brad obviously comes from a background in real estate development, right? Like he's got legit street cred yeah. as it relates to Absolutely. real estate development, Buckingham properties, obviously mm-hmm. well known in the area and the region. Tell me kind of what that was like coming into that role yeah. and then kind of all the changes. Cause I feel like we were talking before we started I mean, it feels like there's a new IEDC out there. Absolutely. So Brad is actually the reason why I took the job at the IEDC. He had a great sales pitch, which (laughs) is a reason why he's been so successful in his career. So I was actually kind of on the hook and was going through kind of a transition change from, from my last role. And I was speaking with quite a few different firms and companies and had a conversation with David Rosenberg, who is Mm -hmm. currently a COO and chief of staff. And he basically mentioned, you know, hey, we want to kind of change the culture. We, we want to have fun. We want to be young, energetic, and we're going to move very fast. And so having a conversation with him, I said, you know, Brad just is coming on. I would love to have a conversation with him. So after that conversation, it was 30 minutes. And <laughs> you were sold right after I was, you could go ahead and send me off a letter. I'm in. Yeah. You're like, I'm just, I'll sign whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, his, his, his biggest, you know, talking point was I want to build communities where middle schoolers want to stay in Indiana. And I want to build communities where people want to come and live here in Indiana. So it's outside of just attracting the businesses. It's more so attracting, you know, the workforce and the talent, the businesses will follow. And he's, you know, and his vision is that starts with the built environment. So, you know, it's definitely a new strategy and a new vision. Our focus is a lot more on quality over quantity. So really going after the companies of the future that's going to be here 50, 50 plus years from now, you know, semiconductors, life sciences, you know, a lot of different verticals that aligns with ag bio right, um, and right. things of that nature. So Brad has this 
what he calls his 5e strategy 5e is like e is an elephant right yeah yeah so economic speed of business (laughs) speed of business yep and so under that strategy it is you know environment which is the built environment which you know i was brought on to kind of help out with energy transition external engagement just telling our story a little bit Mm. more entrepreneurship um and so those are kind of the the our goals that we're focusing on as as we're moving forward. So it's it's paying dividends. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, how, so, so let's back up a quick second. I mean, this is a you have a really cool job. I'll just yeah. say it. Right? How did you get here? How did you just you know? Because there's not a school like you don't go to school for economic development. You know this path. You know it's not really well known. Right yeah. outside the industry. How did you kind of get on this path and? What kind of led you to where you are today? So I kind of fell into it. I started my career at Simon Property Group. I know Paige, you was in retail, mm-hmm. so you're very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I was a lease analyst for them. So I was there for about three years and I was just ready for something different. Right. And knew I wanted to do real estate development. Ultimately, there was a role open you know, at Simon. I was like, hey, I'm bullish, young. Let me throw yeah, my name right. in there. Maybe. Right. 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 Of course, you know, a lot of those corporate jobs, you kind of have the trajectory yeah. you got to hit these these benchmarks and so in my head i was like i, don't, I really don't want to wait for my opportunity so it's probably time for me to move on and landed at develop indy which right. is at the indy chamber which is the economic development organization for the city of indianapolis so they are pretty much the entity that is working with companies that are relocating to indianapolis are growing here mm-hmm. there's workforce you know development you know, partnerships and strategies that we think through. And I kind of built kind of a niche for myself there, yeah. focusing on real estate. And that's actually where I met, you know, Andrew's wife. Yep. She, that's how we met. Yep. Got that's it. how me and Andrew. And she worked to develop India yep. as well, too, in a similar yep. role. And, you know, you guys met and hit it off and we got to meet. Absolutely. So that's yep. to us. So to my wife, Dominique Martin Urban, I love you. Little shout out. She's got two kids, so she probably won't listen to this episode. But I, I, have oh, I love that you said she has two kids, not like we, we have, have two kids. kids. Oh, all right, thank you, Paige. <laughs> I'm still in training. Yeah. <laughs> we have two kids. Thank you, Leo and Nico. Love you both. So, <laughs> and so you, you, that was your first real economic development role, right? So you got yep. to see kind of what what it was really like inside that. And and there at the chamber, you're working on retention, right? As well as expansion, as well as development. So you're kind of seeing a lot of different buckets, right? And that was the most intriguing part of why I was interested, you know, instead of just looking at pure multifamily developers, which I was trying to go work for. Once I kind of had the interview at Develop Indie and seen how multifaceted it was and that I'm working with different assets classes and, you know, outside of just the real estate development pieces, we have workforce development, we have entrepreneurship that we focus on. And then there's a policy aspect, which I didn't think I was going to enjoy, but I actually, that's probably the best part that I I like about economic development. And so kind of fell into it, thought it would be a good change and it's worked out for me. And I, I love it. Uh, I'm glad I fell into it. The credit your, I actually told your (laughs) wife this week, she told me congratulations on something. And I was like, well, I actually, unlike a lot of other people who come in economic development, there's not really an onboarding process. Right. Right. Just like, 
baptism by fire. Yeah. yeah. You just got to learn as you go. Yeah, you just yeah. start um, going with the I actually had a pretty decent like onboarding <laughs> experience uh, when I first started. So um, it was very helpful uh, for me long term. That's good. That's great. I remember when you started and it was just, it's so funny to see you just kind of grow and blossom, right? It's just awesome. So, so you had that experience and obviously this opportunity kind of came up, you know, talk about kind of what, you know, based on your role, what tools you guys are using today to spur real estate development, right? And there's a lot of different layers to that, but I'll kind of let you start it and we'll kind of see where that goes as far as what tools you guys are using, what exciting programs, things like that, and and a little bit more about them. Yeah. So one of the most exciting programs and actually is probably my main program that I'm helping run. And the reason why I came over to the IEDC is the Ready program. Mm -hmm. And I will butcher the acronym and I work on it day to day, (laughs) but it is a um, regional economic accelerator development initiative. Okay. Don't, there you go. don't quote me on that. But essentially, it's a $500 million program mm-hmm. where we're working with 17 regions across the state. Okay. Where we're investing in a different quality of place, quality of life, quality of opportunity type of projects. So that comes in the form of parks, trails. There's some sports complexes. There's housing development, single family and multifamily. There's workforce development and training programs, you know, throughout the state in these different regions. Um, so, you know, my job is more so to administer, help, right. help guide and, and lead lead the regions and, and talk them through different projects and things of that nature. So that program takes up a lot of my time, sure, but it's fun. Uh, and it's good to really get exposure across the state. It's good to, you know, see things that are going on in these different communities. And it's it's good to piggyback off of like, hey, this community is doing this and we can tell another community, hey, you should probably try this this certain way. So that's pretty fun. And the, the projects that we get in there are pretty awesome. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and are those projects private led, public led, public private? I mean, I'm sure you're seeing, I mean, state's huge. Yeah. We're dealing, you know, cities from 5,000 people to a million people, right? So, you know, obviously the scale and scope of the projects is going to vary widely. How are you seeing that program kind of being reacted and who's kind of leading the charge as it relates to accessing that, that, that program? Yeah, it definitely starts on the public side. Okay. So uh, we work with regional economic entities throughout the state, and then that kind of trickles down to the local communities. So a lot of them have their priorities that they want to bring forth, whether that is a housing project or an infrastructure project. And those are the ones that are really coming to, you know, the forefront and, and that we're moving forward. So it really starts on the public side, but we are seeing a lot of public private partnerships throughout the state, specifically in housing projects, mm-hmm. which is much needed to, you know, get done in this environment. So the locals are really, you know, pushing and mm-hmm. pushing their vision and strategy. How do you balance that, right? Because, you know, I think the difficulty is you have this huge region, right? Mm-hmm. State, 17 regions, entire state, mm-hmm. right? And you have everything from Gary down to Jeffersonville over to Terre Haute, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, plus mm-hmm. all the other cities there. You know, how do you balance it? Because I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of places that are like, we need this, right? Like for, for our vision. How do you balance and prioritize that? That's tough, right? It is tough. It is tough. And we actually charge the regions to do that. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like, you delegate that down. Yeah, we, we were not going to be the bad guy to dictate what projects are going to go for and what projects are not. But all of them, you know, make sense. And it's really the pro, uh, the true benefit of the program is get regional cooperation and buy-in. Mm-hmm. The more more communities can collaborate together and use different assets and, and strong suits and that they have and can share amongst each other, the stronger they're going to be long-term. 
the more opportunity they have to you know grow their population. What is which is the the true reason behind this program anyway, and that is talent attraction and population growth. Right. What are some of the challenges in the state, you know, in regards to population growth that you're seeing kind of on a macro basis, right? Because I think the numbers I've seen, you know, some cities are growing, some cities are are kind of going the other direction. What are you seeing there and, and what do you think the causes are of some of that? Yeah, so it's definitely multifaceted. I would say the biggest cause is, you know, as a state, we have to do better at retaining our college graduates, yeah. first and foremost. A lot of our universities that we have great universities here in Indiana. A lot of people, you know, across the nation don't don't even really realize that Purdue, IU, Notre Dame, right. Butler, like they're all located, you know, here yeah. in Indiana. Right. So retention, you know, and, and giving them access to jobs early yep. is going to be important for just that population growth. And then I think we just have to do a better job at telling our story. Right. From just Indiana. From a, yeah, like, from a state level. Like why you want to be here. Yeah. Right. Across the nation, I think there's like no perception, good or bad, about Indiana. That's kind of like right. We, I mean, we've talked about that before. I lived on the East Coast, and people are like, "You're from Indiana? Where do you live on a farm?" Yeah. Well, and I think (laughs) that that corn. Yeah, like (laughs) no, I can't even tell you where the closest corn farm is, but (laughs) sure, I'll find one. Um, But how are you guys retaining college grads? Because I know I'm a Purdue grad. When I graduated in '05, I could not wait to get out of Indiana. Yeah, and I did, but for eight years, and then I came back. Yeah. So I would say here within the last couple of years, we've been a lot more intentional of working with our higher ed institutions specifically to align and provide job opportunities for right. for those college graduates. And that, I mean, really starts like at internship level freshman year mm-hmm. and yeah. how can we tie them to different jobs so they are able to start building a network well, where once they're able to graduate, we're like, my network is already here in Indiana. Right. Yeah. I've already had these opportunities. These companies already want to hire me. I'm more likely to stay here. And that I would say that even starts before and even looking at a high school level about, you know, providing, you know, job opportunities for for the you know, the kids and the students. So I would say first and foremost, that's the thing that, you know, we have to do better. And we are making strides and we're heading towards that direction. That's, that's, uh, that is critical. And then you mentioned quality of place, right? Because the other thing I think about Paige, right, is like you went first to Chicago, Chicago, right? Which is very common. I love Chicago. Like everyone loves Chicago, (laughs) especially if you're from the Midwest. I mean, I'm from Cleveland originally. I mean, all my, most of people I graduated college undergrad with either went to New York or Chicago, right? That was like the two most popular destinations. Now, a lot of people end up coming back, yeah, right. you know, right. Or even come back to the state of, so I'm a, I'm a Buckeye or it's just, I'm an Ohio guy. A lot of people come back to Ohio. What was interesting in Ohio is that I found most people moved back. Like if they were a Clevelander, they ended up backing. Most people came back to Columbus, Ohio yeah. because there was so much economic growth. Mm-hmm. And the trend that we saw, especially being a Clevelander was, you know, the, the decline of what I call 20th century industries there was no economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. And even for myself, I get a lot of questions go, you know, why didn't you come back to Cleveland and, and start your brokerage team, et cetera, there? And I said, well, I would love to, but our population's still declining, right? And that's bad for commercial real estate. Yep. You know, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, it's because, you know, I always joke, like, people go, why is Miami going through the roof? Or why is Nashville, Tennessee going through the roof from commercial real estate value and development? And it's a simple matter of the more people that are moving to your region, 
They, they touch and use commercial space, whether it's retail, industrial, office, multifamily, single family home, residential. And so the more people that are coming means there's more demand and demand means you can make pro formas work, prices are rising, right? And it just kind of builds this virtuous cycle. What do you, what do you think the challenges are for some of these communities that historically had been in these kind of 20th century industries that you know, they don't want to necessarily go away from, they still are economic drivers to an extent, but they're declining. And how do you get them to think about investing in quality of place and infrastructure to support 20th first century jobs and industries? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very important. Even you know, as I was working for the city of Indianapolis, you know, one of our pure cities was Columbus. Right. And the parallels are uncanny. Yeah. What, what they have been able to accomplish over the last, you know, 10 plus years has been amazing. Their biggest asset mm-hmm. is Ohio state. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Their biggest asset is Ohio state and having a research institution at their back door. Companies love it. That's why they're relocating there. Right. Um, and again, they're investing in the quality of place where talent wants to stay. So, you know, that is the true thing is looking at modernization of some of the historic industries and, I'm looking at, you know, more automation and there's a lot of tech that's associated with that. So there's a skills training gap from a, a workforce perspective that you have to train up. But quality of places is important because ultimately, as you both know, when companies are looking to relocate, some of the first questions I get when they're looking at Indiana is, you know, what schools are, yeah. are we going to go? What yeah. neighborhoods are we going to live in? And so being in Indianapolis, I'm like, well, your execs are probably going to live in Hamilton County. <laughs> <You're> right, right. <laughs> right. But I'm going to show you, you know, a lot of different right. places, whether it's Speedway, Bra Ripple, downtown, right. things of that nature. One benefit that we at least say here in Indianapolis is that you can live whatever lifestyle you want. Correct. Within a 30 minutes drive. Right. So if That's you want to live, if you want to live on a farm. You can do it. Yeah, you're 30 minutes away. Like 30 you minutes can away. be in corn yeah. 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 Which pick away. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to live downtown environment, you can do that. So, I mean, it is important to continue to invest in that quality of place, quality of life aspect, because ultimately, in order to really get companies to move there, workforce and in talent wants, need to want to live there as well. So, right. Yeah, it's well, and, and it's quality of place, and you got to yeah. compete with places that, you know, like will take. Columbus, Ohio, right, as an example, because I think that's probably the best parallel. And you go, okay, they have Ohio State University. That means there's, and I just looked it up. I'm on Wikipedia right now, 50,000 undergraduate students at Ohio State University. Main campus is 47,000. Yeah, that's crazy. That's nuts. That's just undergrads. Undergrads. And so the pitch, guess what? There's 50,000 students here that are all going to be looking for jobs within four years or less. Well, and the location of it is like, amazing the school yeah yep. it's downtown downtown yeah. it's it's right there yeah. it's like hey they're living right over here right <laughs> like put your side right and it's yeah, like absolutely. and so that's that's kind of what it, indianapolis might be competing with but also for these other cities because there's other large cities yep. in state right and even other small cities you know how do you draw that proximity but at the same time you're right you got to have quality amenities in yep. lifestyle to right. attract and retain what well, yeah I you was know. wondering, do you think there's ever a future for Bloomington or Lafayette to be a Columbus? Oh, absolutely. I say that uh, like laughing. No, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely I do, so. though. Um, yeah. I mean, I believe Forbes just came out with an article that the three top hottest housing markets are all here in Indiana. Really? Mm-hmm. Lafayette, Elkhart, which is near South Bend, RV and, Fort, and Fort Wayne. Yeah. Are oh. the three top hottest, you know, housing markets 
in in the nation. That's crazy. So Lafayette's doing an amazing job. Wow, right. They are. You know, they're attracting, you know, companies and businesses. They're growing West Lafayette and Lafayette significantly and they're investing in the right the right things. Notre Dame and South Bend, they are very impressive. Yeah. Uh, me getting to work with them over the last, you know, a couple years. Amazing to see what they're doing from an innovation and entrepreneurship standpoint and how they're building uh, and really utilizing the access and proximity to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And one of my probably favorite parks in the state is Howard Park, which is in downtown South Bend, which they redeveloped through regional cities, which was a first iteration of the Ready program. And the same architect who developed Daily Park in Chicago mm-hmm. Well, actually redeveloped this park and wow. they did an amazing job on it. And to see the indirect effect that it had on just the surrounding areas, there's been new houses that's popping up that are like over a half a million dollars. There's like, yeah, right. They look awesome. So that region is doing an amazing job. And Fort Wayne. Yeah. Fort Wayne is. Oh, yeah. Is killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they punch way above their weight. They do. They do. The, I think, model group, which worked with 3CDC in, in Cincinnati, they've done a few projects in Fort Wayne. Electric Works yep. is a redevelopment of a former GE plant facility. It's a monster of, yeah. of a property, but that is going to be a very cool, hip environment. And so, yeah, Fort Wayne is, is doing awesome. I believe there was a report from Fort Wayne that basically stated they can add 5,000 housing units in downtown Fort Wayne really? alone over the next few years. Wow. wow. And so, yeah, that's, that's significant. Yeah. Um, so there's absolutely opportunity for, you know, those cities to take advantage of that and become what Columbus is. Right. Now. Right. Well, and, and we didn't mention this, but I know you have a soft spot in your heart for parks and recreation. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. Tell me a little bit more about your experience with parks and recreation, but I, I think, these are is things. The show based off of you. <laughs> the show is actually based in Indiana. I know right? that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. But but tell us a little bit about that because I I have a soft spot in my heart yeah. for really good parks and absolutely amazing landscaping and arts and I just think a lot of people kind of like don't understand how critical mm-hmm. those are for quality of life. So tell me, tell us a little, like, let us in because I know you've been involved no, yeah, in parks. Yeah, absolutely. I got a whole pitch. Um, so <laughs> I'm actually on the Parks Alliance of Indianapolis's board, and they pretty much are a funding nonprofit to help you know invest in the different parks throughout Marion County and in the surrounding areas. But that all started because I grew up across the street from Riverside Park, which is. Uh, very large park here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. It's actually larger than Central Park in New York. And there was, at the time of me growing up, three golf courses, a family center. And I told my dad never to sell the house because I don't know any, <laughs> any, any property that's next to three golf courses. It's right. not going to be valuable long term. And so I grew up right across the street from a park. I played sport, youth sports there. And I got my first job, really one of my first jobs at the park as a lifeguard. Okay. Wow. So the summer I was working as a lifeguard, then that transitioned to me being a lifeguard, you know, full time, like right after I graduated from high school. So through college, I worked in a park system, actually became a park manager at a park on the west side of Indianapolis called Thatcher. Okay. So I ran leagues and stuff and at Thatcher and we had also had a swimming pool, indoor swimming pool there. So that's kind of where my love of parks came from. I like it. Yeah. And think I think even, you know, even more important, more critical over the last like couple of years mm-hmm. when in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I yeah. think a lot of people realized their appreciation for just 
getting outside getting outside yeah and having green space i was just having this conversation with my mom chat oh yeah because <laughs> you know we got to unite yeah. that's right uh, mom's alliance mom's alliance because uh, the carmel parks mm-hmm. are the some of the craziest guess parks some parts. ever yeah. and i learned a fact i don't know if it's true or not maybe you can tell me for every multifamily development that is built in carmel the developer has to pay three thousand dollars a door yeah it's a part of an impact to, and it goes, that goes to, to the parks, the parks which is huge but it's, it, but it's critical because you think about the quality of life. I mean, Carmel's amazing. We're going to have Henry on coming up. Oh, so, Henry, Henry's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's it, it's amazing because I had never seen anything like it when I first moved to Indianapolis seven years ago. Someone told me to go up to Carmel and I kept calling Carmel. Right? I go, this is not correct. <laughs> no, um, it's not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I just saw like what they did from a parks recreation standpoint, public place. And, and all that. And I was like, holy cow, this is revolutionary. Like you don't yeah. see this in the Midwest very often that kind of like, just look like and in such a short time frame relative to the world we live in, you know, Vincent and Paige, right? Like developments take years to get the pro forma yeah. right and get everything negotiated. And then you have to build it. And then it, I mean, it's it, a lot of times these are 10, 20, 30 year projects that have an impact. You don't see it in a single election cycle right. or right. A single turn, right. It's not a two year thing, you know? And I just was amazed at what they had done. And I think about it and it didn't really start hitting me until I had kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. Having access to good parks. Now as an adult, you go, Oh, this is nice. We can go for a walk or take our dogs. But when you have kids and you know, it's winter time and they've been cooped up and you're just yep. like, we Absolutely. need to let them out yeah. and burn off some energy. Having good, safe, clean, well thought out parks yep. is a lifestyle changer changer. Right. And it has the ability to change the landscape of a neighborhood. It has the ability to change the trajectory of a neighborhood in so many ways. But I feel like the public sometimes doesn't always fully appreciate that when it comes to spending the money, because it's not cheap to do really good parks. No, it's not. I mean, and one of our things that we want to continue to enhance is, is are the parks. So when we look at Indiana, we lack natural amenities and assets, Correct. Mount, mountains, mountains, beaches, <laughs> yeah. lakes, rivers, yeah, lakes, a lot of farmland. Yeah, lakes, rivers. So yeah. the rivers Flatland, and creeks yeah. and things that we do have, you know, those are more of an asset now. Right. And I think a lot of developers and communities are starting to realize that, but also, you know, trails and parks mm-hmm. are the same type of assets. Like all of that is our, our beachfront, mm-hmm. so to, so to speak mm-hmm. property here in Indiana, because it's yeah. relatively flat. So we got to continue to enhance those and continue to invest in them. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, you guys just released your last year stats for IDC kind of tell us about the impact of the organization, kind of what happened in Indiana last year. So last year, 2022 was a record year for the IEDC in the state of Indiana. Prior to that, we had a record number. 2021 was a record year as well. So we had about $8 billion of investment in 2021, as well as attracted nearly 32,000 jobs. Wow. That's huge. In 2022, we attracted 22,000 jobs. However, the payroll for those 22,000 was higher than the year before wow. when we had 32,000 jobs. Wow. So we're attracting high quality, high wage jobs. Um and we were, like I said, we're working with the higher ed institutions to ensure skills gap is getting filled Correct. as well. Mm-hmm. In addition to the jobs numbers, we were able to attract $22 billion of investment in the state. Wow. So significant growth. We have to try to top that this year. It's going, it's going to be <laughs> tough. Right. 
But, you know, when people talk to me about, you know, the housing market or the, you know, the economy in Indiana, what I say is over the last two years, 50,000 new jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to need housing for you know, oh, yeah. all these yeah. people. So, like, there's a significant opportunity here in Indiana that's only going to continue to grow. And so projects and subsidies and programs like we do have at the IEDC is important to continue to, you know, invest in and, and be a catalyst. Yeah, I think that's really critical. And the one thing we're seeing in a lot of communities that have seen a lot of the growth, whether it be industrial or in other industries, that they're running into a housing shortage, like significantly. And I know there's the Leap District up uh, kind of, you know, between Lebanon, kind of headed toward up 65. And it's a big long-term play and program. But I also know just having, talking with some developers in the area, right? Like they don't have the housing stock. Um, right. So we got to catch that up. Absolutely. And yep. the other piece of that too, is it's got to be multiple price points, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Like you can't just build half a million dollar plus homes right. for, for everybody, like everyone can't afford that. So how do we, and, and I think the thing that we've noticed kind of from the private side of kind of working with developers, advising them, finding opportunities is that a lot of the zoning land use yep. kind of municipal level, right? This is not really stuff at the IDC level, mm-hmm. but when you get down into the nitty gritty with the town councils kind of working through some of this, it's very difficult right yep. now, right? So, so what do you, what do you kind of think of that? And then how do you think, where are the solutions, right? Because every town is different. You have these community groups that, you know, some are embracing change. Some are very reluctant for change. How do you, how do we, can, how can we as a, as a, as an industry, as a, as a cohort, you know, better educate the public on how these things need to align, right? It's great to have a program at the IDC level, but if it can't be deployed, right, there's no impact made. No impact. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I would, I would say you kind of hit the nail on the head, you know, as you look deeper into zoning ordinances at a local level, especially in a lot of more, I guess, rural communities, yeah. the, the zoning's not in place for dense development Correct. by any means. So a lot of times I was just talking to a um, housing person, a consultant yesterday, and he was stating how there there's a lot of home single family home builders that want to hit that 250, yeah. 275 kind of price point. Yeah. But as they get into the local zoning and things start getting subjective when they go to boards and then they say, well, we don't like two windows. We need to add six. Like they don't realize like the cost the that cost, that adds. Yeah. And so as these builders wanted to go in at 250, yeah, now they're at three, 325. Right. So it's, it's just things like that, that, you know, that need to change. I, what I will say is that there's been a number of housing studies that, yeah. that we supporting through the ready program yeah. specifically to start focusing on ordinances and zoning. So start changing some of that and start getting, I guess, proper protocols in place to yeah. you know, support housing developments. Well, even education, right? Cause you know, I've sat and I know you have too, it's board of zoning appeals meetings, BZ, right? We, yeah. we've all sat there and had to make a business case. I was at BZA at the city County building on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. I prevailed in my case. Oh, so yeah. we well, got, I, I'm on a metropolitan development commission. Right? So I'm so at you the know city exactly county building. Right? Quite a bit. You, you know all about that. And, you know, the, the thing is, is like, you know, trying to explain that to that board, which are really amazing citizens a lot mm-hmm. of times that step up, but aren't necessarily in this world day in and day out right. to talk about market dynamics and the, the, the situation you just described where the price point for the developer has because of changes, right, to allow for certain variances, et cetera, that are kind of because it's a negotiation. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't understand that, like, sometimes it's like 
quid pro like if we're back and forth. And so all of a sudden you took a two, 275 house and made it a 350 house. Well, from an affordability standpoint with where, where interest rates are going, all of a sudden you're in a different, different tranche of the Absolutely. market. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And it doesn't necessarily solve the need. Yep. And that's the biggest, biggest thing where it's like, it, we're seeing interest rates and everything moves so quickly and then trying to align things like impact fees mm-hmm. that we were talking about, like, Sometimes in some communities, we're seeing those things go up, which for more dense housing really screws you, right? Because you're paying for hookups for every single one of these houses. And if they, you know, they make the impact fees go up 2x, that even hurts your balance sheet even more. And so, and part of that too, and I know this is a hot topic, but I know, you know, it's something that I, I, I worry about is like, I feel like some of it is potentially kind of this not in my backyard, this NIMBYism. Mm-hmm some of these zoning laws are really from the past, very discriminatory. Yep. You know, it's not redlining in the traditional sense. It's more structural. And there's a lot of these kind of call it sins of the past yep. that I think we need to like reinvent zoning and land use as we think about it in this country. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I'm curious to kind of get what your thoughts are when you're talking to communities, you know, how much education do you guys need to do into like, Hey guys, like, I, I get that you have certain objectives. We can achieve that, but we also have to balance that. Yeah. How open are they? What kind of education needs to go into those communities with those regions and, and, and people? Yeah, so I would say most most real estate or economic development professionals understand it. Yeah. A lot of times it's some of the elected officials yeah, that we have to get on board. <laughs> right, um, right. Because they're like, my name's going on this. Yes, right? yeah, my name's going on. And I mean, yeah. even the the residents in the area or the surrounding yeah. areas, I mean, you, you get it. You worked on it and you have to, you know, educate them, say, you know, this is what we really want to accomplish. We're not just putting up anything random, like right. the quality of it's going to be good. I mean, even the term like affordable housing in certain areas, like you can't. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, you're affordable housing. Oh, no. What's like, going to happen? Yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. Oh my God. Moving in. <laughs> but yeah. it's necessary. Right. Absolutely. It's necessary because we need, I always joke, we need all kinds of kinds yep. to make an economy strong. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like you cannot live in, in, you know, Paige and I both have lived in the greater New York city area it is, and this is not a Chris, New York's a great city, amazing, but it is a place where you almost have to be a millionaire to live there. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. to like really survive in any sort of quality of life, right? And and there's a lot of ills that are coming out of that, right? Economic inequality, increases in homelessness, right? All these sorts of things. I think for Indiana, maybe it's not as acute like that, but I also think, hey, you want to see 21st century jobs? People need to live somewhere for you to attract that right. job. Right. And we can't all be half a million dollar homes because the average worker can't afford that. I saw something on uh, TikTok via Instagram because I don't have TikTok um, that was showing a New York apartment. Mm-hmm. It was probably the size of this office. Yeah. It was, there was no bathroom, no kitchen. It was literally a blank box and it was $1,200. <laughs> but you get to say you live in New York City. Yeah. But who could have, like, who can afford that? You know, who wants to, to live who, like, like that? And yeah. then where do you shower? <laughs> where do you eat? Yeah, well, in an average... You fit a twin-size bed. Average, you know, we'll call it just... And, and like, it's weird that there's these stigmas around, like, the word working-class family. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a... Like, I feel like sometimes there's a stigma around saying this is for working-class families. And I don't know why that is. Because what working-class families built this country... I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I'm granted, I'm from the Rust Belt. My family came here as immigrants, worked in the steel mills and, you know, in Cleveland and didn't speak English and had to work. And they were, they were working class 
average, you know, Americans, right? Yeah. But they could afford to find a house, have a good life, et cetera. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't idealistic, but hey, and I feel like there's still some stigma around that word when you bring it up. I There's also still a stigma about a working mother, like working moms versus. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing yep. is, I mean, there's an acute need for childcare in this country yep. that enables workforce. Right. Right. We've talked about that. <laughs> right. Because if you have, you know, 50% of your population is women. And if 30% of that population is unable to find economic opportunity to support the cost of childcare, then you lose a significant 15% of your total workforce. Yep. And I'm just using those numbers. Those are not exact yeah. science numbers. I'm just kind of using ballpark general figures to demonstrate yep, a point. And I think that's another interesting thing that I feel like is kind of getting lost as we think about equitable development, as we think about raising equality for all, mm-hmm. right? And that's socioeconomic, but that's also gender, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also race. And there's all these other layers that are really complicated, but I think are really important that we're not necessarily seeing private answers to right now yeah. with a lot of development, right? Yeah. I've always thought about it and I go, you know, if you're building a mixed use campus, you know, back in the day, I've sold a lot of corporate campuses that had childcare centers in them. Yep. Companies literally, and this was in the eighties and nineties, especially mm-hmm. as more women came to the workforce, they started seeing this need because there was this dual income family that crept up and, 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 and that was having a convenient solution was a huge benefit. Yep. And then kind of got away from it. Yeah. I saw it through the great recession companies kind of cut back on a lot of those perks, et cetera. And so the private industry really hasn't caught up to the demand, but I think that's holding not only the state of Indiana back, but I think it's holding our country back. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, I think the recession, not just from a childcare perspective, but also housing, like there was nothing being built right. for a short amount of time. For I mean, a decent, amount, a of decent time. amount of time. And so now like we're playing catch up from a childcare perspective as well as a housing perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you meant something that's very passionate to me is equitable development. Correct. Whether that is from access for women and minorities in real estate development, yes. in, you know, in real estate industry, or even from a housing perspective, what does affordability look like? You know, you mentioned, you know, historical ordinances and, and laws and redlining and things of that nature. And some of that can still, you know, come into play now, like where you mentioned affordable housing and people's like, Oh, right. Oh my God. No, oh my God. What's going to happen? Yeah, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. Like my housing values gonna go down. Like, right. That's yeah. the main thing. And but that's uh, the same thing yeah. that happened with redlining. Yep. Right. That's yep. the same, same attitude. Thing. Same attitude. Oh my gosh, this black family's moving in, in the neighborhood. We got to sell our houses and these really like, or yeah. this, this Jewish family or whatever you, you name the, the creed, culture, yep. religion, whatever. There's a long history of that in this country. Absolutely. And it's funny to see that it's just changed words, Mm -hmm. right? It's changed words. It's, you know, it's like, there's new dog whistles, right? Yep. And I'm like, how do we kind of, how do we as a, as an industry help distill and and kind of get rid of, get rid of that? I mean, it continues to start with education. I mean, I mean, there's data that proves that affordable, uh, mixed uh, multifamily affordable housing development doesn't increase your property value. It actually helps it. Yeah. And then, like I said, there's a stigma that's attached to it. But I mean, when you look at, there's a couple stats that I pulled up that I've quoted before, but Indiana has a shortage of more than 135,000 housing units. And that's for people that are making 70% or less of the area median income. And you look at some places like 70% of the area median income, like those people are probably still making 50, $60,000. Correct. Right. Correct. Like that is a 
respectable yeah, like wage. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, some think, well, no, they're going to be making minimum wage or these people are going to be only making $20,000. Like we don't want them in our neighborhoods. And so it's kind of a, it's really a continue to be an education mm-hmm. uh, standpoint. I'm glad there's organizations that we have here locally in Indianapolis as well as throughout the state that continue to advocate for housing and housing inequalities. So it's going to continue. We're going to continue need to you know support those organizations to educate as much people as we can. You know that's that's good. And the other thing I think about, and Vincent, you know, I've had many discussions about this page us too. I think part of that too is in the commercial, at least in commercial real estate development, maybe applies to residential. I don't do as much in that space. There's a lack of diversity in a developer, broker. I mean, just in the industry Mm -hmm. in general. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's also part of the problem because a lot of times the developers and other players don't even understand how to articulate some of that, yep. right? So what do you think, you know, we, we need to do as a, as a collective industry? Cause I think economic development falls within that, that kind of umbrella to increase diversity in all the roles that exist, right? Yep. Because there's people like you, there's people like me, there's people like Paige that can all have a great living, great economic opportunity in this industry, but it's largely been, whether it's been deliberate or just through natural social structural elements been largely closed off. And I still feel it's a very opaque industry mm-hmm. that most people, like you said, your first class was like your senior year of high school or college. Yep. Like and you're 22 years old. And that was the first time that like a light bulb went off. How do we get to people in high school in elementary school and, and teach them and, and broaden our economic opportunity? Because a lot of times we're trying to hire or recruit and, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is there's, you know, we're looking for certain skills or certain aptitude and we're getting a pool of candidates and it's like, man, we really like, God, it's not very diverse. Yep. Right. So I think a lot of it's like earlier intervention to say, you can make this a career and you can go to one of these great schools, but how do we start doing that as a collective industry? It's exposure. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Right. The more you can expose different walks of life and different backgrounds and, and different racial makeups to this industry in real estate economic development, the more diverse is, is, is going to be. You know, there is a ROI to, you know, having diverse perspectives on your team. You mentioned before, like the way some projects don't work in certain areas is probably because you didn't have diverse perspectives Mm -hmm. and you missed that as you guys were going through the planning process. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, imagine having somebody on the team that can relate to the community that you're you're looking or that you're looking to do a development or looking to serve that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. And again, that, that project's able to move forward. So again, the biggest thing is I I would continue to hit on that is exposure. Yeah. I mean, that's exposing, you're really kids at a, at a young age. I, I would start like middle school right. on like what real estate economic development is and like what that industry is. It's, it's more than just doctor, lawyer, right. or you're going to go be an MBA. Like every, that's everybody's dreams. But like, how can you, how can, <laughs> how can you expose people to, you know, different opportunities earlier on and often I think is the biggest thing like that this industry can continue to do. Um, yeah. Well, it's only natural, right? Because if you, if you, and this is, you know, and this is a little bit about my background, I mean, I grew up in a kind of a mixed neighborhood of, yeah. of blue collar and white collar working, mostly dual income families, right? Like, you know, middle class, but you know, not necessarily upper middle or, or, or upper class. And the thing is, is in any neighborhood, and if you're an aspirational young person, you're going to look to the closest example 
and say, oh, that person's been successful, yep. right? Yeah. And in a lot of neighborhoods, maybe it's, you know, in the neighborhood I grew up in, the, the richest guy in the neighborhood was like, he owned his own plumbing business. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, okay. And I had an uncle that was a very successful criminal defense lawyer. And so that those were like, okay, like I can go be like my uncle. I can go be like this or yep. I can, you know, right? And, and I think um, we need to add others to a lot of communities of like, okay, you don't necessarily need to be a ball player, but you can do this and you can, you can make a really good living. Like, no, it's not, it's not NBA money, but in some cases you play your cards, right? There's developers that make much more than NBA money, (laughs) right? You know, and so, or even brokers that make, you know, incomes that far exceed NBA money, you know, at least for the average player. Right. And if you do it well, and I think that's the biggest key is how do we get into the schools? How do we get in the communities to raise awareness and tell stories, right? about like this can be because I know if I was was a freshman in in high school and there was a program in a school where people like myself and you came in and talked I would have listened Absolutely. I would, would my ears would have, yeah, I would have been like this is what I'm doing the rest of my in life. In high school I was just like I'm very good at math I guess I'll do accounting. Yeah. And in my head, like going, I wasn't even that put together. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my sophomore year there. We did like a job outlook, like I think paper. And I looked up, I was like, I'm good in math. Let me see like what financial something I can get into. And I was like, Oh, there's going to be a shortage of accounting. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'll find a job. I'll just do yeah. accounting. Yeah. yeah. And then realize like, I actually hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was kind of boring. Yeah. Um, well, because you have that moment, right? Yeah. Like my whole dream was like, I'm going to go play in the NFL. I was like th- 13 years old, right? <laughs> yeah. So I went to St. Edward High School in Lakewood. Shout out to St. Ed's, Go Eagles, it's all boys high school. One of the powerhouses in football, ranked yeah. top 10 nationally every single year. And I remember I was a linebacker. I was a middle linebacker. And I met the senior in freshman football that was the starter. And this guy, Frank, man, it went up playing in the Air Force. And in high school, this guy was six foot four. 250. He was like, there's no way. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, holy cow. Like, I'm like, Frank, he, he was a man too. Like he, he like, was a man. Like, cause you're like he a, had a full fi- beard. He had a full beard. Yeah. Like he had chest hair. Right. Like, and he was yeah. huge and he ran like a sub four, five forty in high school. And you're like, this is the guy I'm going to compete with for another year. Right. I was like, and I wasn't fast enough to be a safety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I got to find something else. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Reality hit me real quick. Yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, that and you go through that and you probably went through the same thing of trying to find your spot. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, I always thought if there was a job that I was always attracted to jobs where your income was unlimited because I wanted to do better for myself and my family. That's what drives me every single morning when I wake up, right? I look at my two sons and I go, I want to give them opportunities I didn't have. That's, yep. that's my fire. People always wonder what my fire is. That's my fire, right? Like, that's it. I mean, I, I did the best with what I had, but I know that they need more opportunity than I have, right? And if they want to follow in my footsteps, awesome. But I also want them to have the freedom to follow their passions. Whatever they want. Because yeah. I had just figured it out. Yep. Like, <laughs> that was it. While right? staying in Indiana. You want them to stay in Indiana. Well, for instance, <laughs> yeah. yes, we want them to stay. <laughs> yeah. Well, give them the opportunity. Let them, yeah. you know, you know, let them sow their oats, sow for, their oats like, for a little yeah. bit, but they got to come back. They got to come back. <laughs> they got to come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mainly for their mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a Hoosier, right? So she's, yeah. she's big on that. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was a big passion project of hers is like, how do we, the workforce development, how do we attract yeah. and, and keep people here? And how do we make that more inclusive? Yep. Right. Absolutely. Because she did a lot of work with historically black uh, universities and 
colleges and it's still a big passion project for us, yeah. right? As, as people. So Vincent, we've covered a lot of ground. We're coming up on time. We got two questions, three questions we like to ask all our guests for our audience. We did not give Vincent these questions in advance. Um, so Vincent, first question, what is your guilty pleasure from a streaming standpoint right now? What show are oh, you man. just like addicted guilty to? Guilty pleasure. It, it can be whatever. So usually I watch documentaries or like a docuseries. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've been into the Formula One. Uh, Drive to Survive. Drive to Survive. Okay, that's... We, I like been watched it all. So we... Have you started Full Swing? No. So they did the same... Netflix did the same thing, but on the PGA Tour. So I, I seen that was coming out and I had that on my list because I also watched the, the tennis like version yeah. of Breakpoint. Right, yes. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I was like... And when I seen, I, I need to check out the the PGA. The one. PGA one is interesting. Uh, I I was watching it and Brooks Kepka. Yep, he's such a baby. <laughs> he is a I was like, dude, you're worth fifty million dollars. Can you just like chill in your house in Jupiter and relax a <laughs> yeah. little? I, I but get... speaking of people who can make a ton of money yeah. playing golf, yeah, that's I, insane. I give kudos to like these like sports industries, like basically providing access to like their talent and like just showcasing it. Yeah. It makes the game so much more interesting. Yeah. Like watch, once I watched a break point, like tennis one, like I'm watching tennis matches. Now. Yeah. I've never I like yeah, tennis. Like all of a sudden it's interesting. It's interesting now. Cause you know, the talent, you know, like the ins and out, like yeah. what gets them going. Like yeah. it's pretty cool to see. I come from a, a big golf family and I'm always yeah. like golf. But now that I've started to watch this documentary, mm. I'm like, Oh, I want to like, like you like the masters are coming up. Great. Yeah. I'm like, great. <laughs> I, you know, could spend all weekend watching this Absolutely. and not be annoyed that it's still on my TV. Well, it adds a different layer, right? It's not right. just, the sports, the drama, it's the, it's, it's the stakes. Right. It's, Cause I think that gives it context. All right. So what are you, what are you listening to right now? So jumping in the car, man. Besides this podcast. Besides, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely listen to this podcast. That's right, um, Foundry. I'm not a big podcast uh, person. Right. So I listen to a music. lot, of, listen to a lot of music. Okay. What's I, bumping right now? I, I try to tell myself I have a little range. Okay. I like mm-hmm. to listen to everything. However, I am a, R&B, hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Like guy. me. So, J. Cole, Drake. Oh, okay. Wale. Yeah, those are kind of my lanes. I like I like more chill, mellow, okay. Mm-hmm. like, okay. rap. Yeah. And that's why I like those artists. Yeah. But yeah, those that's usually the lane that I'm in when I'm in the car. Uh-huh. And there's an artist that I've, like, fell in love with. She's an R&B singer. Okay. Her name is Snow uh, Allegra. Snow Allegra. Lover, lover. Mm. She's a Swedish, Swedish, uh, Swedish R and B. Now Andrew's got to look her She's up. She's like based in L A. <laughs> okay. And her voice is so smooth. Like anytime I had a stressful day, like I throw a song. There I you throw go. One of her songs like decompresses me. And for the audience, it's snow is spelled S N O H. Yep. Oh, I'm look her up. Song. She's also awesome. on mm. my list, man. Crazy thing is, as she's like coming up, I actually have a buddy I went to high school with that I found out is in her band. Oh, wow. And Interesting. he's like posting on Instagram. You're like, wait, can I come like, to a show? He's like on tour. And I was like, wait, you play for snow? Like, <laughs> right. please give me a ticket. Yeah, you're like, I don't yeah. care where I'm coming. That's, That's nice. cool. And by the time That's I realize nice. like the tour is over, but I'm yeah. going to catch him. I'm, I'm going to catch next, him eventually. Yeah, absolutely. If you like uh, R&B, I don't know if you've heard of the artist Somo, S-O-M-O. He's really good. Is he? Okay. If you yeah. like J. Cole, if you like that, like dude, check you're, you're gonna check it out. He's okay. good. He's 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 okay. he's a guy out of Texas. If you look on YouTube, he did all these remakes of like yeah. really good R and B songs. I've listened to okay. some of those. So. And they're like they're they're good, man. 
They're good. Awesome. I know you just had a baby, so be careful with it. You might get another one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> be careful with it. I'm, I've warned okay. you. Yeah. I've warned you. Yeah. 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 It's that vibe. I like that. Yeah, just be careful. I like that. Just be careful. You've been warned. <laughs> don't drink the water in this office. That's all we said. Yeah, don't drink the water in this office. Seriously. Well, Vincent, thank you for coming on, man. It's been awesome. We ha- we loved having you. We're going to have to have you again at some point. Obviously, keep up all the great work. We love working with you. We love watching what you're doing. And uh, thank you for coming on Urban Foundry. Well, I appreciate both you and Paige giving me the opportunity. Love love having a conversation. Good. Yep. All right. Thank you to all our listeners. We'll, we'll talk soon. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.